0: Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Dr. Amy Cipolla, the Director of Pharmacy with an F at the Chef's Garden at Farmer Jones Farm. Pharmacy at the Chef's Garden is about building a greater understanding as to how our health is impacted by the regenerative agriculture principles practiced on the farm. Dr. Amy Cipolla works to help guide consumers toward a mindful relationship with food by connecting the benefits of healthy soil to healthy plants and ultimately to healthy people. She's a certified wellness coach, Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner and doctor of pharmacy with a BS in nutrition. She's also completed a two-year fellowship with honors in integrative medicine from the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. In this episode, we talk about the intersection of the farm and pharma, of using food as medicine, why soil health matters to human health, how the soil microbiome affects our own gut microbiome. Amy shares why it's important to eat seasonally, how to optimize nutrients and vegetables, why it's important to eat the rainbow, tips for eating more vegetables, along with mindful eating habits, and how nutrient-rich plants actually taste better. I absolutely love this conversation, connecting our soil health to our personal health. Keep listening to learn more. Oh, and we are so excited to partner with Farmer Jones Farm this month by offering a collab box available for pre-order now, shipping mid-September. The box includes farm fresh salad and morning yogurt bowl incorporating our granola and beautiful fresh veggies like pineapple tomatillos. Visit farmerjonesfarm.com to learn more enjoy Amy, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to pick your brain and learn about all things soil health, body health, plant health, planet health, all of that good stuff.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here.
0: So, I first discovered you guys actually it was over the holidays last year and I was looking for a gift for our team and I wanted to find regeneratively grown produce. And so somehow I stumbled upon what you guys are doing at the chef's garden and then what you are doing within the chef's garden. And just it spoke so perfectly to my heart of really, you know, as a company, what we're trying to do and getting behind regen is connecting the dots with soil health and our health. And so I am psyched for you to be able to explain all of that, dive into that and really help our community understand why it's so important. But before we get started, I'd love to hear your background, how you got into this. Have you always been into health and wellness, and, and what got you on your own journey?
1: Yeah, totally. So it's kind of a long journey, but um, I've pretty much always been into health and wellness. I did my undergrad in nutrition at Ohio State. Prior to that, I was really competitive in sports um, and running and tennis, And I struggled with an eating disorder. And so I went into school, studied nutrition, then knew I wanted to be a pharmacist. But I had said all along, like, I want to be the pharmacist that helps people get off of medications. And I felt like that fundamental understanding in nutrition was going to be how I did that. But I didn't really have a plan at that point. And I knew (laughs) I was pretty different in my class. But I got into Ohio State, went to pharmacy school there. Uh, then was recruited by Mayo Clinic to come up and work at Mayo. So I went to Mayo Clinic, worked there in an outpatient, uh, and then was promoted, promoted into specialty pharmacy where I specialized in hepatitis C and oral oncology. Um, and during that time, I, patients kept asking all of the questions you would think to ask, um, but don't necessarily know who to ask, right? Like I kept getting a lot of supplement questions, a lot of questions about nutrition, a lot of questions about like, is my hair going to fall out? What do I do to keep my hair? Like those sorts of things where it's just like, Oh my gosh, I have this serious diagnosis. Now what? And I didn't feel really well prepared as a pharmacist, to be honest, to answer a lot of those questions. So I ended up going back and doing a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine. Um, And during that time, found out about functional medicine. So then studied functional medicine, became a certified wellness coach, got into mindful eating. Like I also have practiced yoga since I was 15. So got certified as a yoga teacher. So yeah, I live and breathe it every day. And then I went to work at a rural hospital and at this hospital, it was really nice because it was much more holistic in their approach, and they were open through our wellness committee to create hospital gardens, oh. where my husband is a landscape architect. So he I always say he enables me, but he Perfect. actually <laughs> helped us design and build gardens at the hospital, um, and we were able to utilize what we grew there with our hospital inpatients and nursing home patients and in the cafeteria What a forward-looking
0: hospital. Yeah.
1: And then we got involved with our local food shelf to increase the amount of vegetables people were able to access there. Um, And then I developed a veggie prescription program there where we did a pilot with 10 people initially. And then the following year, we actually aimed to get 50 people and now it's still ongoing, but basically providing money through various grants to people so that they could shop at our local farmer's market. So Long story short, then I was thinking about going to culinary school uh, and was going on vacation and knew that the Culinary Vegetable Institute, which is associated with the Chef's Garden, was here in Milan, Ohio, and my in-laws live really close. So I was coming to visit my in-laws and wrote the Culinary Vegetable Institute this long love letter about how I just thought they were so amazing and what they were doing was so amazing and that I was thinking about going to culinary school. And this was during COVID and they were kind enough to let me come visit. And I spent about two hours with chef Jamie Simpson and he showed me all around and told me the story of the farm. And uh, while we were talking, he's like, why don't you just move here? And I was like, you know, if I had a job, I really would. And so he's like, well, send me your resume. And so I actually wrote up my job description, like what I thought I could do and what I could offer. And now a year and a half later I'm here. So. That's
0: so cool. What a great journey. Yeah. So many questions, so many parts of it. Um, Okay. So. Tell us a little bit about what, I guess, the background of the Chef's Garden and, and Farmer Jones Farm and, mm-hmm. and then what your mission is with your work there.
1: Yeah. So the background, the Chef's Garden started about 30 30 plus years ago. Originally, Bob Sr., Bob Jones Sr. and his two sons, Bob Jr. and Lee, which most people know as Farmer Lee Jones uh, with the red bow tie. Uh, We're selling primarily kind of commodities to um, grocery stores, to farmers markets, and they hit hard times in the 80s and basically lost the entire farm. They ended up rebuilding from scratch. Uh, They lost all their land. They lost their house. They lost their mom's car and rebuilt the entire farm and started going to farmers markets and connecting with chefs. And chefs started asking for really specific things. And so that's where they started growing these unique, beautiful vegetables with really a lot of care and very like hands on. uh, And they were growing for flavor and color and texture. And so that just grew and grew and grew. And now today we ship to all 50 states and 17 different countries around the world. And with the pandemic, is when we actually started our home delivery. So, when restaurants essentially shut down overnight and we have greenhouses full of vegetables, they decided to start offering our vegetables to home consumers. So, same vegetables the chefs are getting at the Michelin star restaurants are available to home consumers now. And we started that with the pandemic and then kept it going. And so, my role now um, as director of pharmacy with an F is really to help curate our vegetable boxes, especially our health and wellness vegetable boxes for um, specific kind of disease states or supporting general health. So we have like an eat the rainbow box that is all about phytonutrients and color. So every month it has all the colors of the rainbow in it and it's all seasonal. We also have a build your own box function where it's by disease state. So say cancer or um, cognitive health, blood pressure, things like that, you can select what you're interested in. And then the vegetables that show up on the page are vegetables that have some evidence to show that they may help support that condition. So I say that I want the farmer to become part of every health and wellness team. So I also work on the farm here to help kind of bridge the gap between agriculture and healthcare. Agriculture and healthcare both have a lot of the same problems, and I really think they should be talking and working together. Uh, So a lot of my work is outreach and speaking and education. We also have a lab on site here. So we're looking at our soil health. We're looking at microbial activity. We're looking at the minerals in our vegetables that we're growing. um, And we're trying to look year over year to see how that changes, because hopefully by practicing regenerative agriculture, we're actually building the soil which in turn helps us grow healthier plants, which in turn obviously helps feed people and helps nourish their bodies and make them healthier as well.
0: Well, I love all those pieces of your mission there and your pharmacy with an F, which is so cool. So first on the pharmacy with an F, how many vegetables, plants are you guys growing on the farm? What is available in your pharmacy?
1: So we grow over 600 different wow. varieties of vegetables, microgreens, edible flowers and herbs every year. If you look at the skews, like the different parts of the plant we sell, we sell over 10,000 different skews. Oh my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things we like to talk about is eating like root to leaf or flower or seed, right? Like all parts of the plant are often useful um, and have different flavor profiles and different cooking applications. So we really have fun working with chefs, thinking about how to use all parts of the plant's life, just like it's really popular now to talk about how to use all different parts of an animal. Same thing goes for
0: plants. That's so cool. So a big thing also is, as you mentioned in your helping to grow the soil, is your regenerative farming practices. Can you Help to explain what is regenerative agriculture and what are the benefits from your standpoint on soil, on environment, community, etc.? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, regenerative agriculture is really about giving back to the soil, growing in harmony with nature, right? So, it's about trying to build versus simply an extractive process. So, oftentimes, if you look at conventional conventional agriculture, the focus is really on yield. Like how much can you grow in an energy intensive way and how much can you get out of it? In regenerative agriculture, it's really about building the soil and the health of the soil influences the health of the plant. Um, And so we know that by not tilling as much, right? So reducing tillage by keeping roots in the ground, using cover crops. We like to use multi-species cover crops here. So each plant has its own function of what it's adding back into the soil by resting the land, by rotating crops, by avoiding monoculture, by helping to reduce water runoff, like by keeping those roots in the ground and also sequestering more carbon. Those are all benefits of regenerative agriculture. So for us looking at how do we build up that microbial life in the soil because soil is alive and soil has so many microorganisms, at least healthy soil. And that's really the difference between soil and dirt, right? Dirt is like dead soil is alive with microbial life. And that biodiversity is actually what helps work symbiotically with the plant to allow it to take up the nutrients it needs to thrive, but also that we need to thrive. So in order to take up minerals in the soil, that microbial life has to actually take, like eat um, those nutrients first and take them up. And then the plants, it makes them more bioavailable to the plants. So if the biology isn't alive in the soil, the nutrients can be there in the soil, but they're not going to be able to be taken up by the plants.
0: So as you think about the differences between, certainly there's greater differences with conventional farming, but I do think it's important to still touch on like most of our land here is this monoculture, six ingredients, not a lot of diversity. So touching on that, but then also what the difference is with organic, because I think sometimes it can be confusing and I feel like in some conversations I've had with people, it's like, well, isn't that what we're doing already everywhere? And it's like, no, it's not really.
1: Right. Yes. And so I think it's really important to understand both, right? Organic is about what you're not doing. So organic is about only using a specific list of OMRI certified products or chemicals. And these are chemicals or inputs that have been kind of deemed to be okay to be used in organic agriculture. Otherwise, everything else is pretty much off the table. It's not necessarily telling you what you're doing with your soil or how you're maintaining your crops, right? So I think the combination of organic and regenerative is pretty important, but organic alone isn't the whole story. And again, I don't think probably regenerative alone is the whole story. It's really about getting to know the farmer and understanding how they're farming and kind of what they're doing to really understand beyond kind of the buzzwords.
0: And then how about from a conventional standpoint? I mean, as you think about how did we get here kind of in the first place? And as you mentioned about, you know, we have this problem with our healthcare system and this problem with our agriculture system. So kind of touching on what has been the problem and how did we get here in the first place?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess where I would start in conventional agriculture, there is heavy utilization of synthetic inputs, right? So we're talking about herbicides, pesticides, fungicides. We know that those can have an impact on human health. They also have an impact on the soil microbial activity, right? So those inputs can kind of, kill life in the soil. And so if you don't have that biodiversity and aren't growing in a way that's supporting a healthy plant, you're putting on again, all these applications to basically take the place of the plant's immune system. You're just trying with chemistry to like keep that plant going and get it to market. Right. And that isn't healthy for anybody. There's water runoff from that. There's the contaminants left on the plant and there's the destruction of the soil. And again, if those plants aren't able to take up the nutrients they need, just think of like our bodies, if we are nutrient depleted. So if you're walking around with a mineral deficiency, which most people in the US are, if you look at like NHANES data, it's tremendous the number of people who actually have some sort of vitamin or mineral deficiency. And usually it's multiple. But if the food we're eating is already deficient, What are we supposed to do? Right. And so conventional farming isn't really focused on the health of the plant. It's just focused on the yield and how do we keep our plants alive? How do we resist pest pressure? And one thing I would say, you know, in our modern system, we really have this emphasis on everything has to be perfect in the grocery store. Like, oh my gosh, it couldn't, you know, an apple couldn't happen to have a blemish. Right. But that pest pressure, like that caterpillar taking a bite out of an apple or whatever, that actually causes the increase in phytonutrients um, or phytochemicals from the plant to fight it off naturally, like its own defenses, right? And those phytochemicals actually have a role in our body as well. So there's over 25,000 different phytochemicals in plants and those all play different roles, but oftentimes they're Um, recognized as being anti-inflammatory, antioxidants. um, they can really be beneficial in a number of ways. So some natural pest pressure is okay. Um, There are beneficial organisms as well. So I think there's that. But then also thinking about where are we subsidizing? So if you look at the farm bill, there's a lot of subsidy of um, corn, soy, those sorts of things. And those become cheap commodities, right? And so they're a lot cheaper, they get incorporated into a lot of our food supply. And then vegetables are perceived as very expensive or pricey or unaffordable, because there isn't subsidy for growing vegetables. And I think that really needs to be switched around. I mean, I think the focus should be on growing vegetables, crops for human consumption, um, beyond the corn and the soy and other things. And that really has such an impact on human health. And so, like in a veggie prescription program, just simply increasing the number of servings of vegetables someone's getting a day can have a profound impact, not only on their physical health, but also on their mental well being. Studies have shown if you increase simply from one and a half servings of fruits and vegetables a day to eight or more, there's a 30% risk reduction for heart attack and stroke. And I think oh. that's on par with using a medication for reducing the risk of uh, heart attack or stroke. So I think important to recognize that food can have such a powerful impact on our health outcomes. The CDC data shows that one in 10 Americans are eating the recommended servings of vegetables and that's only two and a half cups a day. And so if you look at like functional nutrition and some of the functional um, like therapeutic food plans, like Terry Walls has out or Dale Bredesen for cognitive decline or MS those, they're recommending six to nine servings of vegetables a day. And I talked with Terry Wells, and she said she eats more like 12. So not everybody is, you know, in that space that has the capacity to do that. But I think there is a big gap between where we're at currently, um, and where optimal lies and how do you eat in a way that supports optimal health versus just kind of just getting by.
0: Absolutely. I mean, when you talk about the future, like when when do you think that happens? Do you see, foresee in the next X three, five years where, you know, today most doctors get their, you know, one hour of nutrition? And I think that that's certainly changing with mm-hmm. younger individuals going to school and being more aware of the concept of food as medicine, but it certainly hasn't hadn't been in the conversation. So at what point do you foresee things starting to change and really utilizing the pharmacy with an F as a means to heal and write a prescription for, you got to get your eight cups of broccoli or whatever it may be. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I hope that we'll see kind
1: of the pace pick up in the next few years. There's a lot of exciting projects going on around the country certainly veggie prescriptions becoming more popular. More and more places are utilizing that sort of concept. Regenerative agriculture is becoming more popular, which I think is also really important. And I think hospitals are starting to at least have a little bit of internal dialogue about like culinary medicine, food is medicine. I've been talking with a couple of different hospitals about how they're starting to have like some cooking classes and stuff. I really haven't seen that applied though in like what they're actually serving patients. Right. And there's still a really big gap there. So I hope that in the next 10 years or less that that really changes because I think in order to actually be able to teach and model for patients, what we're recommending, we have to start internally at the hospitals at the healthcare clinics, like The food that we're serving the clinicians, the food that we're serving in the cafeterias, that we're serving people in the hospital is far from really what most um, people would recommend to really support health and healing and also looking at the sourcing of that food. So, you know, we're still a ways off, but I'm optimistic at kind of what I'm seeing as far as interest. There's a lot more interest on the healthcare provider side. Um, We're teaching a course here actually, on culinary medicine in the coming weeks. That was so cool. Yeah. And we had great interest. We have Chef Dr. Mike coming in from Montana and we have Chef Seth coming from the East Coast and we're teaching at the Culinary Vegetable Institute. So, you know, it's neat that healthcare providers from all over the country are coming in for this and then they go back to their hometowns, their areas of expertise and can hopefully kind of spread some of that interest.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I think it's just going to start increasing that interest more and more. One of the things that I think about, and I'm curious to hear for you as you have worked with clients in the past, it's you can hear like vegetables are great and I should be incorporating (laughs) eight to 10 servings a day or whatever it is. But there's the issue that people well, there could be several issues, but they don't know how to make it right. They don't think it tastes good, whatever the reason of resistance is the accessibility to it. So what are some of those tips that you like to give to people in order to start to incorporate more veggies in their diet?
1: Yes, I know. This is the one where often people have like childhood trauma of like (laughs) I hate Brussels Brussels sprouts, sprouts. right? (laughs) that I first say, give it another try and don't make it the way, you know, your mom made it or whoever that you hated it. But I think Brussels sprouts are a really good example of a vegetable that recently came more like in vogue with being able to roast them, right? And adding maybe some bacon or maple syrup or whatever to like bring out the flavor. Looking at seasonal eating, I think can be really important for this when you're thinking about vegetables and like trying to get in more vegetables, how do you make it enjoyable? How do you find the vegetables that are going to taste amazing, right? Right now, tomatoes are so good and tomatoes are fruit technically, but you know, how do you find what's seasonal and enjoy that in the moment? And there's a lot to be said for kind of the nutrient density of vegetables when they're ripe and in season and also the taste. And so finding things you like, but also kind of to my earlier point, Maybe giving some vegetables another try and looking at how they're farmed. You know, One of the things we say here is often our vegetables taste like vegetables used to taste. Because of how vegetables are selected for supermarkets, it's often what's most durable, what can ship long distances, what can stay on a store shelf, right? And so thinking about some of the unique varieties, maybe at your local farmer's market, what are some really flavorful varieties and using all of your senses? So- look at it. Is it really colorful? That's a good sign. If the color is vibrant, smell the vegetable. Does it smell good? That's again, phytonutrients, color, taste, and smell are literally the phytonutrients of the vegetable. So, and then don't get overcomplicated. I often see people kind of want to make like this elaborate spread or like all of a sudden start cooking a new recipe every day. And that might be a little too ambitious, like simply cutting up some vegetables on Sunday and having them kind of meal prepped for the week and just being able to incorporate them into what you're making already can be really an easy place to start. I also love microgreens because gram for gram, they're more nutrient dense than like their full grown counterparts. So if you do like a micro broccoli versus full grown broccoli, they're generally more nutrient dense. So sprinkling you know, broccoli sprouts on your salad or putting them in a sandwich or whatever, it's just a really easy way to get in more vegetables. And again, thinking of nutrient density, I like to focus on nutrient density versus calorie density. So instead of focusing on calories or macros, really like just looking at overall nutrient density, I think can really go a long way.
0: So on that note, can you talk a little bit about Nutrient density and taste. Cause I think yeah. that I love how you guys are really focused on your farming practices, creating more nutrient density, which is then creating a better taste profile.
1: Yes, exactly. So mm. when we talk about nutrient density, that's often like a result of multiple things. So it can be because of phytonutrients, right? It can and what also are be phytonutrients?
0: Because, Just to yeah. get us back to like 101 yes. science.
1: Yes, for sure. So phytonutrients are essentially like the immune system of the plant. And so phytonutrients are visible to us in color, taste, and smell of the plant. So if you think of like essential oils, those are a phytonutrient. They are essentially a compound that the plant is making. So that fragrant um, compound is a phytonutrient. Think of chlorophyll, the green color of plants. That is a phytonutrient. Beta carotene, carrots, orange color, that is a phytonutrient. So when I talk about phytonutrients, it's like this big, huge. 25,000 plus category of compounds in vegetables. And one thing I would say, and in fruits um, and other foods, one thing I would say though, um, especially as a pharmacist is there is like this innate wisdom to the whole. And that's often overlooked that often we think we can just supplement our way out of whatever deficiency, but having the nutrients in kind of the complete package of like the whole food actually makes a really big difference in how we're able to absorb it and assimilate it within our bodies. So I think it's important not to feel like, oh, like it doesn't matter. I can just supplement, you know, all of these different nutrients. When they looked at um, antioxidants, for example, they did not see the same benefits from antioxidants taken uh, as a supplement singularly uh, versus taken as like a whole food. And it makes sense. If you think every vegetable or fruit has thousands of phytonutrients in it. So oftentimes to think that that one phytonutrient that we've right. been able to isolate is like the one thing that has all of the effect is
0: probably a little too simplistic. So the fact that there are so many different phytonutrients is really, as you started to talk about earlier in eating the rainbow, Why is that so important so we can get that variety? And why is that variety important for and diversity important for our gut and our overall health?
1: Yeah. So first, I think it's just the joy of eating. Oftentimes we have a strained relationship. I mean, I can say that personally, a strained relationship with food and So when you think about bringing joy back into the eating experience, how do you actually begin to enjoy bringing all of the senses to what you're eating and being mindful in that moment? Even the simple act of mindfully eating changes how we digest the food. You're able to actually secrete more enzymes in your mouth, which help start the process of digestion, but we know that when you're in a stress-like sympathetic state, essentially, where you're in that fight or flight mode, even if it's simply just thinking about work or thinking about, you know, the traffic you were in earlier and you're eating, that takes blood flow away from the digestive tract and really changes your glucose, um, how your gl- blood glucose is handled um, by the body. So, being able to shift into a more parasympathetic state, which is the rest and digest, right? Just taking like three deep breaths, noticing the color and the fragrance of the food, noticing the temperature of the food, and then having that diversity. I think color is creativity. So it's really fun to think about like, how do we bring those colors into our meal and make it creative and visually beautiful without making it overcomplicated. So again, simply mule prepping some vegetables ahead of time, trying to think about, Oh, how can I add red to this? Or how can I add purple? Purple is one of the hardest categories to find vegetables and fruits from. Typically we know that, you know, one in 10 Americans are getting
0: enough purple in their diet. So what's your favorite purple veggie or fruit?
1: Yeah. I mean, blueberries is a go-to. Mulberries is like my super favorite, but they're you know, a little rare (laughs) right now we have eggplant eggplant has that beautiful, dark purple skin. I think it's beautiful. We also grow like a purple cauliflower and I love cauliflower. We have purple asparagus in the spring. So it really depends on the season, but you can almost always find a purple vegetable. It's just, you just have to kind of look a little bit, but purple is anthocyanins. And those are really great for brain health. And so again, each of the colors kind of represents different benefits to the body. And you know, if you think even um, to like Ayurvedic medicine, and you think about fall and eating with the seasons, you know, in the fall, we often think of a lot of orange vegetables, right? Orange is high in beta carotene and beta carotene is converted in the body to vitamin A. Vitamin A helps support our immune system. And that's very convenient that that's in the fall. And that's when we tend to see more colds and flus and things of that nature. So, and thinking about like the spring, green. Green is really great for kind of awakening the liver, right? Increasing digestion after some of the heavier foods of winter. So by eating seasonally, again, you can get those different colors in different foods. And again, all of those different vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients, you get the diversity by eating a diverse array of foods. And I think that's really important because oftentimes it's way easier to just be like, Oh, every day I eat this. So, <laughs> <Right? easy. laughs> yeah. so finding that diversity in the diet and letting yourself be creative can be a really nice way to tap
0: into color. I love that. I, sometimes I like to challenge myself when I go to the store and say like, I'm going to pick out a new vegetable that I haven't and, and figured out yes. how to make it. It's hard, um, it but it's a good challenge in doing so. And as you think about kind of that diversity is obviously good for our the different phytonutrients and antioxidants that we're getting, but also for feeding our gut, mm-hmm. right? And would love to just kind of circle back to the beginning, really connecting our gut health with the soil health and how those are interrelated. Because I find it fascinating when you kind of connect the dots of, okay, we started farming 50 years ago in this conventional way. Our soil got depleted. There's no nutrients in the soil. The soil health is non-existent. And that's the same time that our health started to change. And how much of that can we correlate to our gut health getting imbalanced and not really feeding it the things that need to be. Given. Yeah.
1: This could be a whole nother hour long <laughs> podcast, but <laughs> so when it comes to gut health and gut kind of diversity, just like we talk about the diversity in food, diversity in the gut is really important. We used to think it was just like the total number of organisms there. Like, oh, you just you just want a lot of organisms. But now really what we're finding out is it's really the diversity that is most impactful. We also know that genetics actually plays less of a role than your environment in what your microbial composition looks like in the gut, which is kind of incredible because a lot of times we think like, oh, it's just my genes, right? Like It's just what I was born with, but not so with our gut microbiome. It's really about the environment you're living in. What sort of cleaning products are you using? Are you just wiping out everything? And especially post-COVID, I feel like during COVID, there was a lot of that, like just sterilize everything, right? And that's not necessarily good for the microbiome. And so thinking about your environment, the foods you're eating, what sort of soil are they being grown in? What we consume is one of our main ways of getting those healthy microbes into our gut. So healthy soil the soil, like our microbial diversity in our gut is about 10% that of the soil. So the soil is really microbially diverse in healthy soil. So I just
0: read something this morning actually that said like 50% of the world's species live in the soil. Could Mm -hmm. that be right? It may be. I
1: don't know for sure, but yeah, it's incredible. Like a tablespoon, I think it's a tablespoon or a teaspoon of soil, has more living organisms in it than people on the planet. Wow. Um, so it's it incredible to think about how alive the soil is and how important that is. And so thinking about, you don't necessarily have to peel your carrots, right? Just rinse them off. That's good enough. And that people will fight with me about sometimes. <laughs> but... What if it's a
0: conventional carrot? Can yeah. you say the same thing?
1: I don't know. It's interesting to think about because certainly there would be the potential residue on the surface, but I don't know as far as what's taken up into the carrot. Sure. Like doesn't make enough of an impact to peel it. I don't know. What I do know is phytonutrients, like the immune system of the plant, is concentrated in the skin often. So you'll get more phytonutrients in the skin. Like if you look at those little carrot. Like snack sticks in the store, those are the cores of the carrot, which is actually the least nutrient dense part of the carrot. So, having that outer skin is actually a good source of microbes potentially and also has more phytonutrients. You know, thinking about that, thinking about ferments, I love this time of year when we're in summer and, you know, there's so much abundant produce. Like, how do you just countertop ferment at home, right? Like, just find things at the farmer's market or If you grow a garden at home and put them in a little ball jar um, and just ferment them on the countertop, it's really easy. We have a guide on our website for how to do that. But I think that's a great way to prolong the season, um, but also to get in some
0: of those healthy microbes. I love that. So as you think about the healthier soil and how the best thing that we can be doing is growing farming regeneratively where do you think that's going in terms of you know what's the biggest obstacle to get more farms doing what you guys are doing across the country and world for that matter
1: yeah I think you know in the U.S. specifically changing the farm bill to include more I would say kind of benefits for farmers growing in this way to support farmers growing in this way right and taking some of those subsidies maybe away from the more conventional means of farming. I know there's cer- there's certainly programs out there that are already helping to pay farmers to put in cover crops. And I think that's great. Oftentimes, it's one of those things like the proof is in the pudding. Like if your neighbor's growing this way and they're doing great and their crops look great, people start to look and wonder what you're doing. And so I do think some of it is just kind of that acceptance and people learning and like disseminating that information. But it takes time. Um, It also really takes consumer demand. And I think that's one thing I see more people talking about, even in the last two years. You know, regenerative agriculture has really become so much more popular, at least in my sphere. And more and more people are talking about it. So I think that consumer demand really matters. And then just really supporting the farmers through our legislation.
0: Absolutely. Voting. With what you're putting at the end of your fork every single day,
1: yeah, exactly. And valuing that work, right? Like it's it's not easy to be a farmer by any means. And we see a lot of small family farms in the u s. going away. So how do we help support those farmers and really like help keep small family farms around? So,
0: yeah, I just got back, actually from Montana and visiting our oat farmer there who is regeneratively farming. And, you know, we asked them the same question of how do we get more? And of course, one is supporting them. You know, to your point, you have a lot of young farmers who aren't Mm -hmm. wanting to or young, younger generations who aren't wanting to get into farming. So you're eliminating a big amount of, of farms from from that alone. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, we asked, are any of your neighbors now looking to farm regeneratively? And they haven't yet. And so they're surrounded by conventional farms that, you know, when we were there, they've had they have their one crop and now it's dead. And yet at their farm, they're rotating. And so they've got something on there all the time. And so you would think that they'd be looking at that saying, you know, we should be replicating what you're doing. You have live plants and animals here all the time, but they're not quite there yet. So hopefully it's just a matter of time um, when they see the benefits that they have. And I think the commitment, because, you know, you plan it year one and it's not going to be the yields that I I guess a conventional farm would have immediately.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think there may be... (laughs) different costs, right? So you may not need as much synthetic inputs of all the different nutrients. Like you may not need to put as much nitrogen on the soil because the soil microbiome is alive and healthy and helping that plant to thrive. And so shifting um, kind of how the how of farming and kind of shifting around some of the costs. I think there's still a really good case to be made. Um, I saw the link on your website and I was there this last year, but Rodale Institute is a really great resource for farmers. Mm -hmm. I know they have outreach agents that will go and help people with their transition um, to organic regenerative farming. And they had the first ever regenerative healthcare conference this last year. And I was able to attend and they had 60 different healthcare practitioners from around the world there. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. But they're really helping to lead that educational piece. And they have various field days and things like that for farmers who are interested and then help provide that guidance.
0: What were some of the top takeaways that you learned at the conference?
1: Yeah. You know, I left there really hopeful. Like it was so nice to be with other people. Sometimes you feel like very isolated, but to see people across the country in various healthcare settings Who were interested in the same things and really saw the value in connecting agriculture and healthcare and how the systems need to change. I think we all left feeling inspired. Um, We've stayed together as a cohort, so we still meet like almost every couple months, I think, but we still get together and talk and. I think it's forming those relationships and feeling support and getting some of these novel programs off the ground. One of the hospitals we visited while we were up there actually uh, had a farm on site. So they had a full fledged, like, Oh, wow. Organic regenerative farm at the hospital that was serving. It was great. We went out there on the farm and we went into the hospital then, and then they talked about how they were using the vegetables and everything. And that they had a full-time staff that was tending the gardens and everything. So just, you know, projects like that, I really find inspiring. There was also people who are, you know, more on the advocate side. Kelly Ryerson, I met out there and she's glyphosate girl. So she's Uh, online kind of advocating for getting away from using Roundup or glyphosate and kind of the devastation that can cause to our gut microbiome and our overall health. And so just a lot of really interesting, great people there doing amazing
0: work. Can you just touch on that too, just for everybody who I'm sure that everyone's heard of glyphosate and why it's bad, but kind of breaking it down simply on what that's doing to our gut and why you should get rid of yeah. Roundup at your house at the very yes. least.
1: Oh my gosh. I know. I was in Home Depot like this last week and there was just like huge end caps of it. And it was like, oh my gosh. It's
0: terrifying. Yeah. yeah.
1: So yes, yeah, start at home, stop using Roundup, but Roundup essentially was originally kind of studied as an antibiotic. It is broad spectrum. So it kills a lot of different microbes. And really can do devastating things to the gut as well as the soil. Also can bind minerals. So not only does it disrupt your gut, but it also binds up minerals, making them less available to your body um, and to plants. So really problematic in a number of ways. Um, Also has potentially been associated with various cancers and all that still getting discussed in court. But Mm -hmm. I think there's a number of problems, mostly, I would say at this point related to the microbiome. Um, And again, just really disrupting that diversity.
0: As a functional medicine practitioner, mindful eating coach, what are your call it top three tips for healthy eating and living?
1: You know, Number one, I would just say, find that connection, like connect back in with nature, whether that's connecting with your local farmer, whether it's planting a garden, whether it's just really enjoying whatever produce you have from a friend, (laughs) but connecting with nature, getting out into nature, touching the soil, that is really profoundly impactful. So first, get in touch with nature. Second, I would say, really eat the rainbow. So bring in color and creativity and joy, um, with what you're doing, joy with food. And third one would then just be slowing down, um, enjoying your eating experience, breathing and allowing yourself to digest.
0: Awesome. All right. We're going to move into some rapid fire Q and a
1: boy. (laughs) All right. Sounds good.
0: Three things that you're currently loving. Oh boy! Like, Could be product, a show, kind of anything.
1: Okay. First of all, I have to say your original granola. I've been eating every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, currently loving. Oh my gosh! Well, tomatoes right now in all different sizes. I think heirloom varieties of tomatoes are amazing and just like simple, like salt and like a little <sighs> piece of so basil. Oh my gosh. So good. And then third morning yoga. I know that's not that exciting, but it just morning routine to me is so important. And just recently I switched it up and I started doing just like 15 minutes of yoga in the morning and it's really been a game changer. So
0: love that. Let's hear about your, what's your morning routine.
1: Yeah. So usually I'll wake up and do like 10 or 15 minutes of just meditation, like quiet as soon as I wake up and then I'll put on some hot water then I just started doing a little yoga. I'll walk my dog just around the block. Um, and I like to spend time outside. Like even if it's drizzly and raining and cold, I'll try to get outside for just a few minutes. Like again, whether that's walking the dog around the block or if it's sitting out and kind of seeing the sun. Um, but I try to get outside every single morning and then I have to get ready and then I have to get my kids ready. <laughs> so It's not a long morning routine, but I try to fit a lot of things in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you're fitting in what you know you need to feel your best.
1: Yep, yeah. yeah, that's right.
0: What do you want more of in your life?
1: I think just joy. Like I feel like just watching my kids is so fun and seeing just the joy and the love that they exude just embodying that favorite words to live by accepting non-judging my yoga teacher used to say that when I first started yoga when I was 15 and that stuck with me my whole life
0: love that a favorite nutrition book
1: oh I don't even know that it's my favorite but it popped into my head first I really enjoy deep nutrition and I should know the author off the top of my head but I don't (laughs) But the book's called Deep Nutrition and it was great.
0: And what's that about?
1: So it was talking mostly about oils, um, different seed oils. The other book, oh, this is actually probably my favorite favorite, is Nourished by Fred Provenza. Um, I love that book. It's great. And it kind of ties together like animal nutrition and human nutrition. So that's a little more recent too.
0: And lastly, what's your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey?
1: I would say downtime, finding time for myself is like non-negotiable. And I, for me, it's kind of shutting down at night. I go to bed early, oftentimes before my kids, which I'm very lucky. My husband puts them yeah. in, but <laughs> I, at nighttime, I'm just like done by nine, nine 30. <laughs> so,
0: yep. Now I'm in bed that early too. Love it. <laughs> Yeah. So in closing, we have two things, two other questions. The First is tell us about our Purely Elizabeth and Chef's Garden box. Yes. Oh, I'm so
1: excited about it. So we have a collaboration box right now. It's beautiful. There's flowers in it. Um, there's obviously Purely Elizabeth granola in there. Um, there's greens. We have a recipe for a salad that's gorgeous, as well as a morning yogurt bowl that goes with the box. And you can find it on farmerjonesfarm.com under vegetables. Um, And then you'll see vegetable boxes. So it's just a beautiful collaboration. And I love the being able to incorporate like granola into in along with your vegetables, right? Like even breakfast or lunch, like you can really eat granola anytime. I love it as a snack, but again, pairing it with vegetables, I think is really amazing. And it brings so much, um, like textural interest as well. So yeah.
0: Love it. So excited. And then lastly, what do you think is next in the food industry? Where, what do you think's happening in the next year?
1: Gosh, that's a really good question. I hope that there's more of a focus on quality where food comes from, how it's grown, Again, really keeping the regenerative movement going and having more transparency in how food is grown, where it's coming from, taking away some of the like anonymity of (laughs) these are all, (laughs) all mixed together and you don't know who grew it or where it was from or how it was grown. Um, I think it would be important to
0: increase transparency. Love that. Well, in closing, Amy, thank you so much for being here. And where can everybody find you? Yeah.
1: So you can check us out at farmerjonesfarm.com. And we're on all the social media sites as well at Farmer Jones Farm.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.